Well, good morning. How many of you are excited to see that it, it looks like fall is coming uh, here to, to Southern Oregon? Isn't that great? I, uh, I checked my, my, my phone the other day, the weather app on my phone, and uh, noticed, man, it's like, you know, lows in the 40s, highs in the 70s. I'm like, man, bring it on. I'm excited for this. I'm ready for this. So hope you all having a good weekend. I uh, know some of the smoke cleared out a little bit over the last few days, so hopefully... Uh, able to get out and enjoy the weather a little bit uh, around town, um, as, I, as I'll do pretty much every week um, that my team wins. It was a good Saturday. The Sooners uh, won again. We saw where the Ducks won again. Ryan, did the Beavers play? Yeah, we did. They did. How'd it go? Not well. Not well. Uh, Ryan, in case you're curious, I, I, I give him a hard time. I have nothing against the, the beavers whatsoever, except for their initials and their color scheme, because black and orange and OSU, uh, I mean, here, I'm, I'm boomer sooner all the way, so for us, that's a very evil thing. It's, it's this cowboy image, so he's actually becoming a Cowboys fan, apparently, because it's easier than, than, than becoming a beavers, or staying a beavers fan, but... We joke, we kid, we, we have a good time with it. Hey, last week uh, we started this new series called Adverbs, and this is a series we're working through our core values. Um, we, we, we came to this conclusion as, as leadership, we needed a set of beliefs and a set of values that we anchored down, that we hold on to, and, and those aren't negotiable as far as we're concerned. Those are what anchors us down, and as our mission uh, might change a little bit from time to time, those never do. Those keep us anchored and centered in the gospel. And so we are doing this series through them and, and, and looking at six statements. And we, we talked about the importance of this last week. If you missed last week, I would encourage you uh, to, to get online and listen, get on the podcast and listen, uh, because it, these are, I think, six of the most important statements we're going to make as a church, because it states what we are going to do. And last week I, I quoted Craig Rochelle, a pastor in Oklahoma. Uh, he said, what you value determines what you do. And that's why these are important for us. And, and so we've put them into uh, action statements, not just a phrase. We wanted them to declare our intention, not just that this is something we like, but this is something we're going to practice moving forward. Because we said last week that values are only valuable if you put them into motion. So we've made them action statements, and we've put an adverb on each one. You notice they're kind of the subtitle of this series, How We Take Our Next Steps. And our mission as a church is to help you say yes to your next step with Jesus. So we put the adverb on because for me it's not enough to just say what I'm going to do. I want to tell you how I'm going to do it. And so last week we looked at our first one, relentlessly. They said we relentlessly pursue a deeper transforming relationship with God. And just the, the, the quick five-second version of that, we do that by understanding our identity comes from God alone and nothing else by allowing our prayer life to transform us, and by allowing the Spirit to guide us. And if you've noticed on the back of your program, we've started putting these statements, and they're going to stay there. These are going to be more visible because we want you to understand these and put these into practice individually, but also as a church. Today we're going to look at our second statement. It's listed there on, on the back, and our second adverb, which is genuinely. And so today, our statement is this, we genuinely practice authenticity in our worship. And you may look at that and go like, well, what's that mean? <laughs> We're going to spend a few minutes today and just kind of break it down and explain it. But kind of to take this a step further, 
each of these statements also has kind of a paragraph that fleshes it out a little bit. And so for this particular week, uh, when we look at, at, we genuinely practice authenticity in our worship, here's what we mean by that. We says, Redwood Christian Church is a community of grace and forgiveness. Everyone is welcome, encouraged, and expected to participate and be authentic in their worship. This is a safe and practical place for you uh, to come as you are and grow in your faith, but this is also a place where complacency will be challenged. We believe Jesus loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Now here's kind of where we're going to go with this, because when we talk about worship, there's kind of this mindset, kind of, I think, a misconception that most churches have, let's just be honest, most churches have, I even caught myself saying this in first service at one point, that worship is music. So we're talking about, boy, we had a great worship service. And, and when we say that, we're specifically talking about music. Jay and Gretchen and the team just, just led us in, in a time of, of, of worship through song and worship through music. And that's what we'll say. And I've, I've heard people say that, or pastors say that. Uh, I have a friend back home who's a pastor. I said, how's, how's things going with the church? He said, man, our worship's great. Well, he was talking about music. And their music is great at their church. But that's, that's what he meant. It, or I'll, I'll hear people say, man, I went to this church and... Boy, the music, or the, the worship was dull, but man, the preaching was great, the people were great, there was just this great vibe. Well, no, the worship wasn't dull, the music was. Now hear me out, music is probably the easiest way for most of us to worship, because when we're in music, we all connect to music differently. And trust me, I know because I see the C-mail confidentials every week when you're telling me what you think of the music, so I know how we connect to it differently. <laughs> we all connect somehow, some way through our music. We all have certain tastes, certain desires, certain uh, genres that we connect with differently. And I think music, probably more than other avenues, allows us to escape and step into the throne room a little bit easier than some others. But everything about our, our service today is worship, from greeting each other to setting, or standing and singing and, and lifting your hands and singing to God to studying the word together. After this, yes, we're going to worship God by giving It's all part of the worship service. So what is worship? I guess that's the question we have to ask. What is worship? You can look in the dictionary. This isn't coming from a theological standpoint or a a, a biblical standpoint, but just in the dictionary itself. Worship is defined one of three ways. First off, worship is defined as reverence offered a divine being or a supernatural power. Again, kind of what we're doing here right now, right? We're worshiping uh, God, what we would call a divine being or a supernatural power. Or maybe worship is the act of expressing reverence. That's kind of the verb form. So another definition, but a similar idea of it. Or how about this last one? This has nothing to do with God or church or anything. Extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. That could be anything or anyone or any thought. And that's often what we see around the world today. We see worship, and it has nothing to do with a religious setting or a religious structure or any kind of of body. And worship, I think, is important because worship opens our eyes. Whatever it is you're focusing on, worship opens your eyes. I love how how John Ortberg, a pastor in California, said it. His quote was this. He said, I need worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude, and I plod through life with blinders on. Now think about this for a second. Here's kind of the visual of his statement. Without worship, it's like having blinders on, and all you see is what's right in front of you, and you don't see anything else. 
You see what you're doing and who you're doing it with, and that's it. But you take the blinders off, and all of a sudden, you've got all of this out here. And that's kind of where he's coming from. His worship takes the blinders off, and it doesn't just focus on you and what's right in front of you. It focuses on everything that God has to offer. But here's the thing with worship, and this is a pretty hot debate, pretty contentious debate between theologians or biblical scholars and those who claim to not believe in God. Everybody worships something. Everybody has faith in something. And and I love seeing these debates, especially on social media, because it's just kind of fun to sit back and watch people go at it. But the, the thought is everybody has faith in their belief, even if that belief is they claim they don't believe in anything. Even if their claim is there is no God, there is no anything else, that's their claim, that's their statement. It takes as much faith to believe in that as it does for me to claim I believe in God. And they worship that thought because by taking those blinders off, they're able to see the bigger picture of what it is they're chasing. We talked about this several months ago in in one of our series. Too often right now in our culture, we're guilty of worshiping kind of the, the, the gospel of mankind. In other words, we put human rights and and how we treat each other above everything else, above the gospel, above anything. And and, and so basically that means anything goes. You can do whatever you want. We're not going to tell you anything about that. That's kind of where we're at. But but here's kind of where I want to focus this today. Because I don't want to just sit and pick and nitpick on what other people might believe or might not believe. I want to focus today on what should we as Christians, as followers of Christ, believe. That's where I want to focus all this today. How should, and when I say what we believe, how we should worship, how we as Christians should worship God. And there's, there's so many different ways. Every church might tell you something different. We're just going to look back at our statement that we made, and I'm going to explain how we pulled that statement out of Scripture. Now, don't go flipping through your Bibles trying to find that, that paragraph I read off to you or that core value because that didn't literally come word for word out of Scripture. But we took it out of some phrases Jesus said and kind of pieced that together. And in particular, this statement that Jesus makes in the middle of this conversation he has in the Gospel of John. And we talked about this conversation a few months ago, back in our shoes series. We talked about this conversation Jesus has with a woman sitting at a well while he's walking through Samaria. So John chapter four is where we're gonna gonna pick this out today. But in this conversation, They get into this discussion about worship and they're talking about how they worship and where they worship. And Jesus says this in John 4, verse 23. He says, the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Key phrase there, the true worshipers. We want to genuinely practice authenticity in our worship. The first thing we have to understand is God wants true worshipers. God wants us to be true worshipers. You're like, great, that's awesome. What's that mean? (laughs) Let's talk about it. Let's take a step back and see. Because in that conversation that Jesus is having, just to kind of set this up a little bit here, again, they're, they're at the well, they're at the foot of a mountain called Mount Gerizim. And they're having this conversation about how they've worshipped as Samaritans and as Jews and, and how one says they're right and the other says they're right and they each say each other is wrong. Kind of where we're coming from with this. We don't ever hear about that in our culture anymore, right? My side's right, your side's wrong. We never, ever discuss that, right? Regardless of the topic. (laughs) Go back a couple verses. Verse 20, the woman tells Jesus this. says, our fathers, talking about the Samaritans, we worshiped on this mountain, talking about Gerizim, 
but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. They worshiped on that mountain because that's where the Samaritan temple once stood. It had been destroyed by the time of this conversation, but that's where it stood. So that was where the Samaritans worshiped. They still went up on that mountain to worship. Jews, they had to go to the temple in Jerusalem, which was also on top of a mountain, on top of Mount Moriah. And that's where they went to worship. And either way, Jew, Samaritan, either way, it was very specific on how you went about worshiping. And in particular, you had to follow these rules, but you had to be a Jew to go to the Jewish temple and worship. Those of us in the room who aren't Jewish, which I'm going to guess is probably all of us, um, we wouldn't have been allowed in there. In fact, uh, right now that area is is controlled by uh, Muslims. The the Temple Mount area in Jerusalem is controlled by Muslims. They are forced to allow non-Muslims up there, but they don't like it. And in the the Dome of the Rock, the mosque that's now built there, no non-Islamic person can step foot in there. But we were there last spring, and let me tell you, they didn't like the fact we were there. They wanted us gone off of that area. That's their sacred area now, what they say. You go back centuries before, and that was the same way with the Jews. If you weren't a Jew, you were not allowed up there. You could go to the southern steps, and that was as far as you could go. Same with the Samaritans in their mountain. It was very sacred to them. And you kind of see this. This pattern has repeated itself through history. They believed that was sacred because that was where you went to worship God because that's where God came to meet you. And they had a spot in their temple for God to come set and wait and, and meet you. And that's, that's happened still too. Uh, one of the, the, the tenets of Catholicism is they believe God meets you in the church. That's why their cathedrals are so amazingly ornate and beautiful. But what Jesus is saying here is it's not about coming to a place to worship. It's about worshiping through spirit, which we're going to break that part down a little bit more here in a minute. But the first thing Jesus says here is to be a true worshiper, you shed your identity as a Jew or as a Samaritan, and you embrace your identity as a child of God. Now again, we hit on this last week, and I rattled off all these ways I could identify myself. And I said, but as a child of God, all of that gets wiped away. And now I identify as a child of God only. That's kind of what he's saying. There is no Jew. There is no Samaritan. There is no Jew or Gentile or Greek. There is only a child of God. I mean, I look around our world today, and we put up just as many divisions and walls as they did back then. Even in the church, we do. And it breaks my heart. I can't wait till we get to a day when all those walls and identities are, are gone. And we're not even identifying by our nationality. I can't wait to the day where we're not even identifying as American or Canadian or Mexican or, or German, Russian, French, whatever. We are simply identifying as we are children of God, period, only. That's what I can't wait for. Because when that happens, we will embrace our, our ability to be true worshipers. See, what happens, I think, too often is we allow those identities, again, to, to build barriers. And we become a barrier. The church itself becomes a barrier to somebody coming to Christ. And too often we see churches, when we've seen it kind of throughout the years, I think it's starting to go away, where the church wanted you to get your act together and learn how to behave before you could show up. And, and in fact, there's kind of this, this, this mindset or this phrase where a church would say, you need to behave and believe, and then you can come belong to us. Or maybe they'll say, you need to believe and then behave, But you've got to get those two first. You've got to believe in God and learn to behave like Jesus and get rid of all of your your messiness and then you can come worship, be a part of our body. 
That's kind of the mindset that the church had for way too long, and some churches still cling to it. Hey, when you kick your gambling habit, you can come join us. Hey, when you kick alcoholism, you can come join us. Hey, when you, when you quit running around with people you're not married to, then you can come join us. Then, then you're welcome in our doors. Hey, when you stop having thoughts uh, that, that, that approve homosexuality, you can come join us. You can come, come in our doors and you can sit in here and you can listen and worship with us. That's the mindset that too many churches have had in the past. And that builds a wall and a barrier. And that defeats the purpose of the Great Commission. So the Great Commission didn't tell us to go into the world and find disciples and bring them in. It said to go make disciples. Go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to be like Jesus. That's the Great Commission. But when we put up barriers, we keep ourselves from fulfilling it. So instead of saying you need to believe and behave and then you can belong, at Redwood we flip that around because we say everybody's welcome. Whatever state of life you're in, whatever stage of life you're in, however broken and messy your situation, you are welcome here every Sunday. And we want you to keep coming back. We adopt this philosophy instead. We want you to belong, believe, and then become. So in other words, we want you to belong to this church, belong to Redwood, believe in God, believe that that Christ can be your Savior, and then become like Jesus. That's the Great Commission in three words. You go make disciples. You bring them to the church. You teach them to believe and and accept Jesus and be baptized. And then what's the, the last part say? Teach them to obey all I've commanded. In other words, teach them to become like me. That's what Jesus is telling us there. We can't expect somebody to become like Jesus if we're gonna push him out the door and never let him come in. Jesus himself said as much. He said it's not the the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. That's why he went to the home of tax collectors and sinners and ate with them because they weren't gonna get to experience him any other way. So that's what we need to understand and embrace and understand that we are all on a journey here. We are all taking our, our, our walk with Jesus and following Jesus and we're all in different places. And I said this last week, I'll say this again, whether you have been here since day one or whether today is your day one. Maybe today's your first time you've ever stepped foot in a church. That's the the question, is are you ready to say yes to that next step? And how can we as a church help you say yes to that next step? Uh, For me, I've been walking with Jesus my whole life, and I still have a next step to take. Some of you are, are in similar places. I, I, I've told you this before. I'm a Buick. I'm a brought-up in church kid. I've been in church since I could remember, probably since the first weekend of my life. And I still have a next step to take. So the church, we want to help people like me say yes even to that next step. And I don't even know what that's going to be. But if you're here, you've probably said yes to the very first step, which is coming in the door. Maybe your next step is, is hey, I've got a question about Jesus. We we talk to me about Jesus? Maybe that's your next step. We want to help you say yes. We said it there in the core value that we want to take you just as you are, but complacency will be challenged. We believe it's our responsibility to help push you down and guide you down and, and encourage you down your walk with Jesus. So how can we as a church do that? Because that's where I believe true worship is found, is in pursuing the walk with Jesus, getting closer to Jesus. See, to me, worship, it's not something I, I do and, and schedule and, 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 and do through music. 
Worship to me is simply a response I have to the salvation and the grace that Jesus has offered to me. And I know for me, no matter which step of my journey I'm on, how long I've been walking with Jesus, I cannot read the truth of John 3.16 and see that God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for me that I might have eternal life. I cannot read that without my, my initial reaction being to hit my knees and worship God for that. Because I I read that and I'm just like, man, I can't even comprehend the love God has for me. But I've got to respond to it with praise and worship. That's what a true worshiper looks like. Is that we, we, we follow God and we shed all of our labels and all that matters is how we are pursuing him. But that's not where Jesus leaves it off here. He doesn't just talk about being a true worshiper. He tells us how to do this. Verse 24, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must must worship in spirit and in truth. So how does he want us to worship? In spirit and in truth. This is uh, an interesting phrase here. One uh, commentator said, this is a phrase that a child can understand and theologians are still wrestling with. That's kind of the gospel of John in a nutshell. I I read a, a metaphor about John one time, said John is an inch deep. It's, it's like a pool, it's an inch deep, but an elephant could swim in it. Because it's so simple in its wording, it's so simple to grab a hold of, yet there's so much depth and richness to it. And this is a perfect statement of this. So Jesus says it, go worship in spirit and truth. Great, awesome lesson. What's it mean? <laughs> He, he kind of tees it up there. He says, God is a spirit. Worship, it's not about a place. Kind of touched on that a minute ago. It's not about a place. You don't have to come here to worship. You don't have to go to the temple or up on the mountain or, or into the Holy of Holies to worship. That's kind of what he's getting at here. It's not about a place. It's about a, a, a person-to-person relationship. And specifically, it's about you connecting with Christ, That's how we worship. And he says we do it through spirit because God is spirit. But one of the coolest things about this, I think, is that you go back to verse 23 and you read the the phrase that God is seeking true worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. It says the Father is seeking such worshipers. That's what's the coolest part about this, is God is actually chasing after us. Some of you remember this back a few months ago. We we did the, the, the series, I Have a Question. And we, we said, what's the difference in Christianity and all the other religions? That was kind of one of the, I think it was the first, first week of that series. And I put a ladder up here on the stage. I said, here's the big difference. All the other religions, whether it's Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or, or uh, Islam or, or Buddhism or all of the other religions, it's about what you can do to get to God. And so I said, it's like climbing the ladder. You have to climb the ladder to get up to God in all of those other religions. Christianity is different because there is nothing you can do God came down the ladder to us. So it's not about what we can do, it's about what we're willing to accept. That's Christianity compared to all of the other religions. So when it says the Father is seeking us, he's coming after us. That that word seeking could be replaced with he is demanding for us, he is asking for us, and it's not in a pushy kind of way. It's kind of like when you go out to a good steakhouse and you, you read the menu and you're like, I want that steak right there. And then you've got a certain expectation level, right? You're kind of demanding, again, not pushy, but you're demanding that that be a good steak. 
You're, you're asking for it. That's what you want. That's why you went there was to get that. That's what this verse says about us. It says about God. He is, is expecting and demanding out of us that we be true worshipers. And given all that he's done for us, I don't think that's too much to ask for. But I want to explain this a little bit. When it says God is spirit, because if you're kind of new here, if, if, if you haven't been in church for very long, this might be a verse you're like, what in the world does that mean? You're talking about the Holy Spirit. What in the world does that mean? So I'm going to give you the quick, like, two-minute theology lesson on this, because this is, this is a, a topic we're just going to touch the surface of. But I want you to kind of grasp at least a little bit of this here. See, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He did that so that we can have access to the Father without going through all of those requirements and rituals that the Jews had to do. He died on the cross, and then he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, and then he was on the earth for 40 days, the Bible says, and then then he ascends into heaven, and 10 days later he sends the Holy Spirit. We read about that in Acts 1 and 2. If you want to get a kind of a, a, a grip on that, read the last couple chapters of Luke and the first couple chapters of Acts, and you kind of see that picture played out. But he, he sends the Holy Spirit and he says that anybody who's baptized receives the Holy Spirit. It's what the apostles tell everybody. So you're baptized in water and then you receive the Holy Spirit. And now because of that, you're no longer simply a person, but you're actually housing God because now we don't have to go to a place that God dwells because now God dwells in us. Paul explains that in 1 Corinthians 6, Verse 19, he says, do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So in other words, you don't have to go to the temple, you are the temple. Everywhere you go, you've got the Spirit. And that separates us from so much of of the history of mankind. Jesus said in, in the Gospels that John the Baptist was the best among all men who had ever lived, but he said, there will come a time when men are greater than him. And the Holy Spirit is why. That's what Jesus meant there. He meant everybody who comes after me is gonna be greater than anybody who's come before me because they have the Spirit in them and because uh, why they have the Spirit in them, they have access to God that nobody else has ever had. So you read the Old Testament and you read the Gospels and you read about great men like Moses and David and Elijah and Abraham and even John the Baptist and you're like, man, I have more access to God than they did. That's pretty cool. That's pretty, pretty amazing to read about. But that's important because we can't access God any other way. You, you go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God. It's a pretty straightforward statement. In other words, God cannot appeal to your physical senses as human beings. We can't touch God. We can't smell or see or hear or taste God. He doesn't appeal to any of our five senses But you go ahead, uh, another couple chapters, and in chapter three, uh, verse six, John says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So in other words, when you're baptized, we used to hear the phrase all the time, you're born again. We don't hear that as much, but you're born again was kind of the phrase that was used all the time. You have died to your old self, and you have become a child of the spirit. If you guys have followed me with that here. You die to your old self. That's why when we baptize somebody, we'll say you're being buried with Christ. You're dying to your old life. Not literally, but you're dying to your old life and you're being raised in Jesus and raised in the Spirit. 
So now, wherever you go, you are the temple. You've got God with you wherever you go. You don't have to go to a place to experience him. Now hear me out on this, because this is not saying in any way that church is no longer important. That's not what he's saying. Just because he's saying it's not about going to the temple doesn't mean you shouldn't come to church. If that were the case, the Bible would stop right after the Gospels. You wouldn't have the book of Acts, the epistles, even Revelation. The whole purpose of Revelation was a letter sent to seven churches. So the whole New Testament, basically, it's reaching out to churches, telling them how they could do church a little better. And in none of those does it say, hey, by the way, you don't need to show up. In fact, it says the opposite. Book of Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verse 25 says, don't neglect the gathering. In other words, don't give up meeting together. It's still important. That's not what Jesus is saying, that because you can worship anywhere you go, you don't need the church. What he's saying is, now worship extends beyond the church. That's what he's getting at. Worshiping Jesus, worshiping God, it extends beyond Sundays, it extends beyond this gathering with this group of people. Worship should should infiltrate every single aspect of your life. That's what Jesus is saying. The Holy Spirit, God, is with you everywhere you go and everything you do, and because of that, everything you do now becomes an act of worship. You ever thought about it from that standpoint? What you do is worship, so how are you worshiping? How are you going about your everyday life? How are you doing everything that you do? You might ask, well, how do I worship God in in what I do every day? Here's just a couple of ways. Number one, you worship God in how you treat other people. Think about that. You worship God in how you treat others. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So in other words, everything that you do for somebody else is worship, whether it's good or bad. I don't know if you're, if you're like me, I don't want my worship to God, uh, to God to be bad. I don't want to give him my worst. I want to give him my best. And I love how Paul words this because he says, give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks. Those were two groups that did not get along. They argued about everything. Can you imagine that? Even when you're arguing with somebody you don't get along with, that's worship to God when you're attacking one of his creations. So think about that before we start posting politically on social media. That's worship. And I don't want to give bad worship to God. I want to give sincere, humble worship to God. Number two, you worship God in how you take the gospel out into the world. Not how you preach it, how you take it, how you live it out. Romans 15, Paul says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, take the gospel out so people can see Jesus and understand Jesus and know about Jesus what is true. I love how how Timothy Keller kind of phrased this. He said, we are called not simply to communicate the gospel to non-believers, we must also intentionally celebrate the gospel before them. You don't have to have your Bible out preaching. You just have to live it out. You celebrate the gospel message, which is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How about this one, number three? You can worship God by helping your fellow believers. What do I mean by that? Hebrews 13, it says, do not neglect to do good, Uh, and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
Whatever you have, share with others, whether that's time, resources, uh, gifts, whatever. I'm not going to get too much into that because that's next week when we talk about loving our neighbor. How about this one, number four? This one, to me, hits me more than the others. Worship God through an attitude of, of praise and thanksgiving. That should be a continual attitude of praise and thanksgiving because it's easy for me to start with the woe is me, I don't have what I should have, or I don't have what I deserve, I don't have what this person's getting, and I forget to be grateful and give thanks for what I do have. That's me. I mean, I'm so guilty of that. Hebrews 13, it says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. In all that you do, you worship. In all that you do, you worship. No matter how exciting or how mundane, everything you do is an act of worship. That's how we genuinely practice authenticity in our worship. I love how Richard Foster, the theologian, kind of, he, he writes about spiritual formation. He says, to cause every task of your day to be a sacred ministry to the Lord. However mundane your duties, for they are a sacrament. Or for you, they are a sacrament. That's a, that's a big thing for me. I mean, do you, do you think about worship while you're driving through traffic? While you're standing in line at the store? while you're going through your morning routine or while you're sitting in your office kind of waiting for the the clock to tick by. That's opportunities for worship. You're going to worship God in what you do. So is it good worship or is it just whatever you have to give? Kind of your leftovers, so to speak. So what do we do with all this? How do we as a church handle this? How do we as a church genuinely practice authenticity in our worship? I think it boils down to the mindset we have when we walk in. See, for me, I, I think my heart is always in a pretty good place. For me, it's my mindset. I've got to change my mind. My heart typically follows God. My mind, I've got too much control over. So I can direct that where I want. And for me, I've got to give this to God just like I've given this to God. And I think that's one of the hardest things to grasp is getting your head and your heart to line up in following God genuinely and sincerely. Some of you guys are laughing and nodding because you completely understand what I'm saying. But here's what it boils down to. To get your head and your heart together, when you come here, you have to stop asking the question, what can this church offer me? What can this church give me or do for me? Too often, that's what we ask. We church hop or we church seek because we want to find the church that's going to be the best fit for us or do the most for us. And let me just be very honest with you. And I'm saying this not out of arrogance. I'm saying this out of a humble sincerity. If you come to me and say, what can Redwood Christian Church offer me? My response is going to be probably not what you're looking for. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because if that's your your mindset coming in, you're probably not going to find what you need. Instead of asking, what can this church do for me? The question needs to be, how can I worship God through this church? That should be our mindsets. And I'll be honest, I have to check myself on those two questions every day. Because I'm just like everybody else. I get a selfish mindset and I want things my way, just like everybody else. But I have to remember it's not about me. It's about God. And so the question we have to, 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 to focus on and, and remember is, it's not what we can get, it's what we can give. And we give our worship. There's, I think, this this, this 
temptation, if you will, that when you come on a Sunday, you're in the audience and we're on stage and there's a separation here. And let me tell you, that's not the case. Uh, Jay and Gretchen leading, leading music up here earlier, that's not a performance for you all. My sermons are not a performance for you all. It doesn't work that way. I said last week, we are not a, a, a spectator sport. If you're out there sitting in the chairs, you are not a spectator. You are a, a participator. And so this is not us putting on a performance for you. We are all in this together. We are all worshiping together for an audience of one. That's what we have to remember. So whether we're on stage or out there, we're all worshiping together. Up here, leading music, preaching, we're just kind of directing traffic. We're just kind of prompting the worship. That's it. There's nothing else that separates us from everybody else. So we're all worshiping. So the question we have to remember, it's not what can the church do for me? But to genuinely practice authenticity in our worship, the question has to be, how can I connect with God so I can give him what he deserves? That's worship. How can I connect with God to give him what he deserves? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, God, for the reminder of, of worship. God, to understand what worshiping in spirit and in truth looks like and feels like and sounds like. And God, we also understand that this is something that we will struggle with. This is something that we will not always fully understand. Because God, we are very much human. And we're very much entrenched in our culture. So God, I just pray that in those moments when I feel selfish, in those moments when I want to make my worship time about me, that you would remind me that I, I should not be worshiping with an agenda I should not be worshiping conditionally. But God, I need to worship sincerely and humbly. God, that it's not about what I can get, it's about what I can give. So God, I just ask for that reminder every day. God, I ask for this body here today. If, if anybody is on the, the verge of taking that next step, whatever it may be, maybe it's their, their first or second or third step with you, Maybe it's a step to say yes to believing in you. They've, they've come, they're ready to belong, now they want to believe. God, I ask that you would just encourage that step. Encourage us as a church to walk alongside them and be there so that we wouldn't get complacent where we are. God, I'm so thankful that you love us just as we are, but you love us too much to leave us that way. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.